This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, let's start out on the mysterious side with another episode of Lights Out. Lights Out was one of the earliest radio horror programs, predating suspense and inner sanctum. In the fall of 1933, NBC writer Willis Cooper conceived the idea of a midnight mystery, a a serial, to catch the attention of the listeners at the witching hour. Now, the idea was to offer listeners a dramatic program late at night at a time when the competition was mostly airing music. At some point, the serial concept was dropped in favor of an anthology format emphasizing crime thrillers and the supernatural. By April in 1934, the series proved successful enough to expand to a half an hour. In January of 1935, the show was discontinued in order to ease Cooper's workload. He was then writing scripts for the network's prestigious Immortal Dramas program, but it was brought back by huge popular demand a few weeks later. And after a successful tryout in New York City, the series was picked up by NBC and broadcast nationally, usually late at night and always on Wednesday. So we're in keeping with tradition on that one since this is a Wednesday. Cooper stayed in the program till June of 1936 when another Chicago writer, Arch Obler, took over. And was the show really popular? Well, this fact could illustrate that. By the time Cooper left, the series had inspired about 600 fan clubs. Wow. And, of course, the character on the show might be buried, eaten, or skinned alive, always with the appropriate blood-curdling acting and sound effects. And though there have been efforts at horror on radio previously, there does not seem to have been anything quite as explicit or outrageous as this on a regular basis. And when Lights Out switched to the national network, a decision was made to tone down the gore and emphasize tamer fantasy and ghost stories. The sound effects technicians frequently had to perform numerous experiments to achieve the desired noises. Cooper once had them build a gallows and wasn't satisfied till one of the sound men personally dropped through the trap. Like Cooper, Obler was much in demand and highly prolific as well. While working on Lights Out, he wrote numerous dramatic sketches for variety shows, the Chase and Sanbernauer and uh, Rudy Valley's programs. Obler met the demand by adopting an unusual scripting procedure. Here's what he did. He'd lie in bed at night, smoke cigarettes, and improvise into a dictaphone, acting out every line of the play. And in this way, he was able to complete a script quickly, sometimes in as little as 30 minutes, though he might take as long as three or four hours at times. In the morning, a stenographer would type up the recording for Obler's revisions. Years later, Rod Serling, who counted radio fantasists like... Uh, Cooper, Obler, and Norman to be among his uh, inspirations, he would use the similar process to churn out his many teleplays for the Twilight Zone series. Well, here's tonight's episode on Lights Out. It's entitled Heavenly Jeep. Ironized Yeast presents Lights Out. Everybody. It is later than you think. Lights Out brings you stories of the supernatural and the supernormal, dramatizing the fantasies and the mysteries of the unknown. We tell you this frankly. So if you wish to avoid the excitement and tension of these imaginative plays, we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now. This is Arch Obler. Tonight, a story that's literally out of this world. And now, lights out. 
everybody. Praise the Lord, the past the ammunition. Praise the Lord, the past the ammunition. Praise the Lord. I say, the... Sergeant. Yeah, Captain? That's all. Rather monotonous, isn't it? I don't know anymore, White. Well, that's reassuring. Yeah. Sergeant. Yes, sir? Back home in America, in civilian life, what were you? A plumber. Really? Yep. Still carry my union card. What do you think I was, Cap? Oh, one of those daredevil circus riders. Oh, you mean I'm riding too fast? Well. Okay, Captain. It isn't much of a road, you know. Any speed you want, Captain. You're doing fine. Captain. Yes? You mind if I ask you something? Well? What were you? Uh, I mean, back in England. I mean, before the war. I mean, if you want to tell me. Why not? I was a paleontologist. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's all right, Sergeant. Even my best friends didn't quite know what that meant. Paleon what? A paleontologist. That means... Uh, Sergeant, pull up. Yes, sir? What's the matter, Cap? There's something wrong with this road. Huh? I remember distinctly a burnt-out Mark IV was just to the right before that ridge of dunes. Oh, Captain, so help me. We're going the right way. I don't know about that. I've checked my compass. Infernal desert roads. One never knows when... Well... What's the matter, Captain? Have you a compass? No. Yeah, it seems that I've lost mine. Uh-oh. Well, I've simply got to get back, back to Medrazel Bob. I'm quite certain... It isn't in this direction. Well, it sure looks like the road to me, Captain. No, I'm positive about that burnt-out tank. I think we'd better cut to the right here. Okay, Captain. Hardly do to find ourselves back in Mr. Rommel's lines now, would it? Maybe we will anyway. What's that? Well, I don't know about this road, sir. You'll have to trust to my judgment, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Why so slow? Well, this road don't look so kosher to me. What does that mean? Well, the Jerry's might have fixed it up with a few landmines. Nonsense. Our engineers have cleared out every road within 50 miles. Go ahead. It's getting rather late. You'd better increase your speed. Okay. You're the captain. Landmines. I'll stake my soul. There isn't a landmine with it. These hours I've been sitting here thinking what a miracle it was. Hit a landmine and outside of a bruised shoulder, no harm done. Yeah, only now we haven't got a jeep. I understand how you feel, Sergeant. man uses his judgment and sometimes he's wrong. It's okay, Captain, okay. Only how long are we going to sit here? No use trying to find our way back till daybreak. Gee, sure was a swell jeep. We were very lucky. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, come the dawn, like they say, somebody come along and pick us up. Meanwhile, laying here, it's okay. Yes. Lovely night. Captain? Yeah? You know anything about stars? Little? That bright one up there. How far away do you suppose it is? Oh, I don't know exactly. Roughly speaking, I should think. Must be at least uh, 150 light years away. Light years? Well, light years simply means the distance light can travel in one year, traveling at the rate of 186,000 miles per second. In other words, the light that you're looking at from that star traveled 150 times six quadrillion miles to get here. You wouldn't kid me, would you, Captain? Spooky? Yeah. <laughs> no. That's scientific fact. But how can they know? Who holds the other end of the tape measure? The tape measure is purely mathematical. Believe me, it's all very accurate. Why the interest in that star, Sergeant? Oh, I don't know. Well, tell me. Well, when I was a kid, me and my brother used to go on camping trips, and at night I'd lie out just like this and look at the stars and wish I could get up to them. Very strange. Huh? 
ever since I was a child. That subject interstellar travels fascinated me, too. No kidding? Hmm. Move out into space, through our universe, beyond our universe. See the wonders of fire and flame. Tremendous celestial fireworks on the edge of the sun, one flame of which is greater than all our world. Move from cold star to cold star. See evolution repeating itself somewhere out there on a world as young as ours once was. Dinosaurs and flying reptiles. Men, or not quite men. And then move on to other planets where men perhaps are wise beyond our greatest hopes. Wonderful thing, Sergeant. Travel out into the heavens. Gee, you sure can say the words, Captain. The heavenly jeep, Sergeant. That's what we need. <laughs> yeah, a heavenly jeep. What's that, Sergeant? Yeah, I hear. From the north, Jerry. Must be. Look, it's getting light. Yeah, ain't that a break? It gets light when they're coming. But well, get down, stay down. You're silhouetted against the sky. I'm down, I'm down. Sounds like quite a flight. Rama must have got some new bombers from Crete during the night. They won't last long. Mighty low. Sure getting daylight fast. Well, I hope they don't decide to investigate this road in the jeep. Here one comes. Down, down. Stay down. Don't... It's me. Captain, where are you? I, I don't know. It's so dark. Sergeant, I see you. Yeah, I see you, Captain. Why is it so dark? What happened? I don't remember. Where are we? I don't know. I, I can't see too well. We were on the sand, hiding were we hiding? Yes, I, I remember the, the Stuka. Yeah. The dove down on us, machine gunner. I felt my head a, a blow. Captain, look. What, what? On the ground. It's you. Your head. But, but, but I'm here. It is you. No, no, I, I'm perfectly all right. Sergeant, look over there. Me? Yes. It's you. You're all shot up. Huh? And, and yet you're standing here alongside me. Yeah. We're... We're hanging in air. Huh? Sergeant. Huh? I do believe we're dead. What? Dead. I heard... I heard you... I wonder what's supposed to happen now. I don't know. Free of our bodies. We seem to be free. Sergeant, listen to me. Hmm? We can do it now. What? What we were talking about before. We're dead, I, I'm sure of that. And free of our bodies, hanging in the air. Free of our bodies. Take my arm. Take it, I say. Okay. Moving through space. Wish that. Will yourself to move through space. Yeah. We are moving through space. Yeah. We can do it, Sergeant. We can and we will. What are you talking about? What we wanted to do. Go star traveling. We'll visit a star. And now back to our Lights Out story of the captain and the sergeant, who, finding themselves dead, decide to visit the world beyond this one. Sergeant, are you all right? I guess so, yeah. Higher. Higher. Captain, you got to tell me how fast we're going. How fast? Stars. Look at them. So big. Now look back. What's that? Don't you 
No. Look, Europe. Africa. The world. Hanging like a little globe. Smaller and smaller. That's how fast we're going. Speed of light. No, speed of thought. But, but we're there. No, don't, don't think that. Think of this man. Star traveling. Who's ever done it before? Whoever will. We're traveling to the stars. Look at them. Billions on billions. World without end. Which one should we go to, Sergeant? Which one? Sergeant, I'm talking to you. Why, what? what? Who? Who are you? Woman. Please, I'm frightened. Who are you? But the Sergeant, where, where, where is he? I don't know. I don't know anything. I'm frightened. I don't know where. Oh, it's all right. Now, don't be frightened. Hold on to my hand. I'm Captain James Wood. I was stationed near El Bazaar. Jerry strafed us out. I'm very certain that I'm dead. Dead? Yes. Then I... What happened to you? Think, please, it's important. Talk to me. I was standing in the field, back of the back of the vestry house. I heard the sound of the planes. Where? Where do you live? Outside of Leeds. When did it happen? Just a little while ago. The bomb. I heard it. Then I didn't. I... I must be dead, too. I think so. Where are we going? Why am I with you? I... I don't know. We're... We're someplace out in space. And I think we're moving so quickly. Why? What were you thinking about as it happened? I don't know what you mean. I mean, back at your home, before the bomb. What were you thinking about just then? I... I don't quite remember. It's important. Tell me. I think I was looking at the stars. Yes? And thinking how nice it would be to be able to go home to them. Yes. Oh, is that why? Yes, I think it is. Oh. Captain. Who? Sergeant, right here. Where, where? Here, up in here. Who is he? Oh, he got hurt with me, uh, Sergeant Berg. Nice to meet him. Captain, what goes here? I'm scared. I am too. And yet, Miss... Uh, what is your name? Anne. Anne Harper. Uh, Miss Harper, you understand, don't you? The sergeant and I were talking about star traveling, and that's what you were thinking about when you got blitzed. And that's where we're going. Right at that star. You do understand? I'm trying to. Dead and going higher and higher to a star. <laughs> Sergeant? Flew all around and back where we started from. This is the world, ain't it? No, that that isn't possible. What are you talking about? Green hills, boys, trees? It is the earth. Yes, it must be. Ah, we're, we're back on the earth. I, I don't think so. Huh? Why do you say that, Captain? We left the earth. My senses told me that. Uh, Sergeant, you remember? The earth behind us. Smaller and smaller, the continent's outlined, remember? But, but this, where are we now? Where are we now? I don't know. And yet I think I do. A place that's just like where we came from, but another world. You hear me? Another world. What? Huh? You realize the miracle of it? A universe full of millions of stars, suns, flying comets, burning gas and heat and... Cold beyond understanding. One chance in millions of a star with air on it. With temperature just exact enough to permit life. Of another star with air surrounding it, just like our Earth. One chance in millions of a, another star with temperature mild enough to permit growing things the way we know them. And this it is. We're here. Another world, exactly like our own. Then I'm not dead. I'm not dead. Do you feel anything? Huh? The air is bright. There's a sun shining. No, look. Two suns in the sky. A large and a small one. Well, what's that got to do with me? Yes, what's that to do with our being alive? 
drive it if you feel the warmth. <gasps> Look, that tree is bending in the wind. Do you feel the wind, either of you? I don't. I don't either. Well, what does it mean? You've got to tell me. What I said before must be true. We're dead, but getting our last wish, that must be God's gift to all the dead. As long as we're here and know that we're here, I suppose that's all that matters. I'm not dead. I know I'm not dead. All right, Sergeant, all right. The important thing is to... Why did you stop talking? Captain, what do you... You see? Yeah. What is it? What are you both looking at? Well, that rise over there. What? I think we saw a man. There he is again. <gasps> well, from the look of him, we've, we've stumbled on another Garden of Eden. But his face. What? Can't you see? His face. Look at his face. <laughs> Talking to you, don't you understand, Wyatt? Who are you? Why have they got you fenced up? Hey, what's the matter with them? Keep yelling at them, and all they do is make that noise. This fence? Why is it all around the field? Why is it around them? Captain, we're talking to you. All these men and women and children, why are they fenced in? What's the matter with them? Their faces, all of them, so empty. What's the matter with them? I don't know. Insane. That's it. They're insane. Yeah, that's it. Nuts. Twelve-foot fence. That's why they got it, to keep all the nuts in. Perhaps. But how inhuman, those poor little children, the women. No protection against the sun. I'm with you, lady. You ain't got no right to treat anybody this way. Captain, come on, we'll see the CEO. I mean, whoever's in charge and tell them what we think. Captain, what's the matter? Have you forgotten where we are? Huh? Oh, it doesn't matter. Of course, you're right. We must do what we can for these unfortunate people. But where's the house, the asylum? The trees are so thick. We'll just have to follow this fence until we come to the main house. Yes. Coming, Sergeant? Yeah. Captain. What is it? Could it be possible the enclosure is some sort of a concentration camp? It's possible. Like, like in Germany? They stopped murmuring. Yeah. They're all looking in the other direction. What? Quickly, in the brush. Get behind that brush. Yes. Okay. There's nothing. Listen. What? A plane. I don't know. Airplane? I see it over the trees. There, it's circling. Good <gasps> Godfrey. What is it? I'll go see. Wait, is it stay where you are? It's landing in the enclosure. Please tell me. What is it? I don't know. I don't know. It's a... It's a box. Yes. An insect as large as a man. Listen to the people. Yes. Why are they clustering around that thing? Why? Captain, did you see what... Yes, it's feeding them. An insect feeding men. It's a rotten truth. Look at it. They're sticking their faces up toward it like... Like a farmer and his pigs. Oh, no. A farmer and his pigs. Captain, why did you say it too? I was only talking. Do you hear me? I was only talking. The The truth. Huh? What did you say? Captain, what is this? What is that thing out there? I don't quite know, but I think it's an ant. Ant? A winged ant. And I think he's feeding his stock. No. Why do you say that? It ain't true. Look at them. No, it can't be. They're people like you and me. A bug feeding them. Captain, you got brains. How could a thing like that be? Tell me. But in another world, accept that fact. We're in another world. A world just like our own in climate and in structure with one great difference. And yet a small difference, cosmically. The race of man is not the primary creature here. Here are the lords and rulers of the animal world. Yes, the insects. The cleverest of them all, the ants. Huge ants. Like that one, I tell you, the... Well, if it's as clever in proportion as the tiny ones I watched in my garden back in England, then this world is a better integrated place than where we came from. But look at that ant. Why, if it's too direct, it would be at least seven feet tall. Magnificent. Magnificent? Lady, did you hear him? He's out of his head. A bug big as a truck feeding people like us, and he calls it magnificent. Yet it's true. Captain, you are right. 
Frightening, but you are right. You too? Lady, you too? Sergeant, I told you in another no, word. No, I listen to, to you. You listen to me, both of you. This magnificent stuff, this malarkey about that bug and others like it running things. I tell you, it's not for me. Bugs crawl on the ground and they fly and you swat them. They don't put 12-foot fence around you and keep you there. They don't feed you. An objective attitude is necessary. What do you mean, to... an objective attitude? They're kids and men and women and look at them begging that thing for a handout. When it's fed them fat enough, what do you think he does with them? What do you think? But another Stop world. talking about another world. I don't want any part of it. I want to get out of here. You, both of you, got too many brains for me. Me, I just just feel things, and I don't want any part of this world. I'm I'm tired, and I want to go back where I belong. It's a cockeyed world, all right, but at least there, it's a man's world, and a man's got a fighting chance. Sergeant, stay down. No, I won't stay down. This place with its super concentration camp and people like pigs, it's not for me. I want to get out of here. I don't have to be here. I'm not dead. Do you hear me? I'm not dead. 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 Sure, sure, Sergeant. Take it easy. You're all right. Relax, Sergeant. I'll have you back in a base hospital in a few moments. Where? Captain Wood? Yeah. Yeah, Captain Wood. Where? Where? You had to bury him out there. The stuka that strafed you did a pretty complete job. I, I, I... Now, don't try to talk. I, Lucky the ambulance driver took the wrong turn of the road or we'd never have found you. Another hour out there and we had to check you off, too. Between the hot sun and the ants. Ants? Yeah. Tell me, Captain, really dead? Yeah, too bad. It's okay. What? The captain... Just where he wants to be. That's okay. Why? Why? Yeah, yeah. See, we gave him a decent burial. He'll rest in peace. That's where you're wrong. What? Him and his violin won't rest. They got too many brains to stay quiet. Then they'll keep on. What did he call it? Uh, star traveling. Yeah. Stars. Well, Mr. Obler, I must say, a pleasant prospect. What do you mean? Well, this future you outlined for us, traveling to other worlds and finding that the ants or the bees or the termites have taken over. No, no, that's no prophecy, Frank. That's just a possibility. And now, Mr. Obler, what about the possibility you were talking about of an insect world? Frank, that's just a possibility. Scientists have long agreed that the bees and the ants and the termites are, well, they have community organizations and a willingness to sacrifice for the good of their fellow beings is really remarkable. Under proper conditions, there, well, there would be the possibility of a world ruled by the insects. I can hear some cynics out there saying that surely the ants and the bees and the termites couldn't have made a worse mess of this world than certain ones of us have in this well, he's 1,943 years since. Oh, well, let's, let's turn to pleasanter things next week. I walked into the script department of Columbia Broadcasting System here in Hollywood a few weeks ago, and I, I found myself surrounded by some charming young ladies who left their typewriter long enough to insist that I tell them the, uh, the truth about myself. In other words, that I really live the plays I wrote for Lights Out. I managed to get out of the department alive, and if you want to hear the revenge of Obler against the ladies of the script department... Well, listen in to Murder in the Script Department next week. Yes, tune in next Tuesday again for Arch Obler's eerie story called Murder in the Script Department. And if you need more vitamin B1 and iron, be sure to try ironized yeast. But remember, there's only one ironized yeast. You'll know it instantly by the yellow and orange package and by the big letters IY on the container and on each tablet. Street or down, you'll see that white shoes have come to town.
And because of shoe rationing, folks are using Energine Shoe White to help give those white shoes the best of care. Energine Shoe White is made with the whitest pigment obtainable. It spreads over shoes easily and dries evenly to a real white, never a dingy off-white. So keep white shoes looking better longer by Energine Shoe White. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Father Knows Best, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Robert Young to star in Father Knows Best. Robert Young was best known for his leading roles as Jim Anderson, the father character in Father Knows Best, and the physician Marcus Welby. Robert Young appeared in over 100 films between 1931 and 1952. After appearing on stage, he was signed with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, and in spite of having a Tier B status... He co-starred with some of the studio's most illustrious actresses, such as Katherine Hepburn, Norma Shearer, and Joan Crawford. Yet, most of his assignments consisted of B-movies, also known as programmers, which required two to three weeks of shooting, considered very brief shooting periods at the time. Actors who were relegated to such a hectic schedule appeared, as Young did, in some six to eight movies per year. He unexpectedly received one of his most rewarding roles late in his MGM career in H.M. Pullum Esquire, featuring one of Hedy Lamarr's most effective performances. He once remarked that he was assigned only those roles which Robert Montgomery and other A-list actors had rejected. Now, as mentioned, Young is most remembered for the affable insurance salesman in Father Knows Best, 1949 to 1954, on radio, for which uh, his co-star Jane Wyatt won several Emmy Awards. And I'll bet some of the names of the actors in the Anderson family will be recalled. Eleanor Donahue as Betty. How about Billy Gray, who was Bud, and Lauren Chapin as Kathy? Young's final television series was Marcus Welby. That co-starred a young James Brolin. This show earned Young an Emmy for Best Leading Actor in a Drama Series. Young was married to Betty Henderson for 61 years, from 1933 until her death in 1994. They had four daughters, and despite his trademark portrayal of happy, well-adjusted characters, Young's bitterness toward Hollywood and the casting practices never diminished, and he suffered from depression and alcoholism culminating in a suicide attempt in January of 1991. Later, he spoke candidly about his personal problems in an effort to encourage others to seek out help. He has three stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. The stars are in the category of film, television, and radio. And now, here's tonight's presentation, entitled Superstitious Folk. Mother, is Maxwell House really the only coffee in the world? Well, your father says so. And your father knows best. Yes, it's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons. Brought to you by America's favorite coffee, Maxwell House. The coffee that's always good to the last drop. Since the dark beginnings of time, superstition has played a dismal part in the fumbling progress of man. We, however, live in an enlightened age, and, thank goodness, we've thrown off the yoke of ignorant superstition. Well, I mean... Knocking on wood isn't really a superstition. You do it just because... Well, anyway, in Springfield, in the white frame house on Maple Street, we find Jim Anderson packing for a trip to Chicago. And for a change, everything is peaceful and quiet. Like this. Jim, it certainly won't hurt to take them along. Margaret, I'm only going to be gone three days. How many pairs of socks do you think I can wear? Well, you never can tell, dear, and it's best to be on the safe side. Twelve pairs of socks. Anybody think I was going to Alaska for the entire winter? Jim, they weigh practically nothing, and I certainly All think... right, all right, put them in. I'll have enough socks for everybody at the whole convention. Dad! We're upstairs, bud. Jim, you don't need all those shirts. What do you mean, all those shirts? I'm only taking six. But you'll only be away three days. You said so yourself. 
<laughs> but, honey, I've got to look neat. All the big shots from the home office will be there. I think three shirts are quite enough. You just have to be a little careful, that's all. Okay, three shirts. Fine thing, a man can't even pack the bag away he wants to. Say, Dad, can I talk to you for a minute? About what? Well... Handkerchiefs. Mustn't forget handkerchiefs. I've already put them in, dear. Oh, thank you. Well, what is it, bud? Uh, could I have three dollars? No. What, uh, happened to that bottle opener I had in the top drawer? Jim, if it's going to be that kind of convention... It isn't, Margaret, but I just thought... Well, <clears throat> never mind. Dad. But I said no. I know, Dad, but this is an emergency. What kind of an emergency? The worst kind. I've never known you to have any other. Why do you need three dollars? Well, it's for the baseball team. I need another bat. You mean you've broken the old one already? No, but... Well, I... I think I've used up all the hits. You what? I'm in an awful slump, Dad. I haven't had a hit in two weeks. And if I can just buy a bat with some hits in it... That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> You've got a perfectly good bat. Why waste three dollars on another one? But, Dad, I've got to do something to change my luck. Luck. Superstitious twaddle. If you can't get a hit with the old bat, you won't get one with the new one either. But, Dad... Particularly if I have to pay for it. Well, I guess I'm all packed. You haven't forgotten anything, have you, dear? I don't think so. But how about taking the bag downstairs like a good fellow? Okay, but look, Dad, we're playing a very important game this Mother, afternoon. Mother. And Just a moment, bud. What is it, Kathy? I don't care what she says, you can't go. Mother, Betty says I can't go to the club with her this afternoon. And you said I could. I said I'd ask her, dear. Mother, it's bad enough going out with a boy I don't even know. But if I have to drag her along... They're going to play tennis, and I want to watch. Kathy, if Betty says you can't go, then you can't go. Now stop arguing. You love her more than you love me. <laughs> that's why you're always sticking up for her. I'm not sticking up for anybody. You can watch Bud play baseball. No! <laughs> what? Holy cow, Dad. You don't know what you're doing. Oh, I don't, huh? She's worse than a black cat. <laughs> she's, she's worse than an umpire. Now, listen, bud. There's no reason... But, Dad, you've never heard her. She sounds like a fire siren. She gets both teams rattled. <laughs> hmm. Bunch of sand lotters. <laughs> It's all right, Kathy. You can stay home with me this afternoon. But I want to do something. We'll find something to do. How about the bag, bud? Okay. Not having enough trouble. They want me to take her along. Father. What is it, Betty? Is Mr. Davis's nephew tall and dark? How do I know? I've never even seen him. What difference does it make anyway? Well, Janie Liggett told my fortune yesterday, and the card said to be careful of a tall, dark man. And if he's tall and dark... Betty... If he's eight feet tall and has hair made of licorice, you're still going out with him. He's only going to be in town this weekend, and I gave Ed Davis my word. But, Father... Most idiotic thing I've ever heard in my life. Just because Janie Liggett hasn't got a brain in her head... It wasn't Janie's idea, Father. She has a fortune-telling set, and it's wonderful. It costs four dollars. Oh, pardon me. I thought it was one of the cheap two-dollar sets. <laughs> Jim, I... No, you're going to say it's silly, but I did have a dream about a wedding last night. Margaret, not you, too. Well, you remember my grandmother, Williams. The Hottentot kid. <laughs> Jim, Grandmother Williams was a very sweet woman. And she said when you dream of a wedding, it means trouble. Well, that depends on who's getting married. Jim. <laughs> you certainly don't believe in that poppycock, do you? Well... No, but if Betty's going to feel uneasy... Feel uneasy about what? Since when is a dream something to be afraid of? I'm not afraid of dreams, Daddy. Nine years old, and she's the only intelligent one in the whole house. <laughs> You're a very sensible little girl, Kathy. I'm not afraid of anything. Because I've got a lucky penny and a rabbit's foot and a horseshoe and... Margaret, what's gotten into this family, anyway? These aren't the Middle Ages. This is the 20th century. We're supposed to be intelligent human beings. Jim, it's not that we believe in these things. Then what does it mean? 
All this twaddle about dreams and fortune tellers and bats with hits in them. You sound like a bunch of Stone Age simpletons. Why, Father! Now, just a moment, Jim Anderson. You have just as many silly little superstitions as anyone else. I certainly do not. You most certainly do. Kathy. Yes, Daddy? Go downstairs and help Bud. What's he doing? How do I know what he's doing? Go downstairs and find out. And help him. <laughs> Gee whiz. Now, see here, Margaret. Yes? In my time, I've walked under hundreds of ladders, broken thousands of mirrors, ignored millions of black cats, and if you can call that being superstitious... I'll bet that's Charlie. Who? Charlie Davis, and Father, if he's tall and dark... Betty. But Father, Janie said... I don't care what Janie said. You are going out with Charlie Davis. Oh, poo. Betty, it's for you. She'll be right down, bud. Go ahead, Betty. If this is the 20th century, why do I have to be treated like somebody's slave? I don't know what's gotten into that girl. What are you looking for, dear? My gray hat. It was right up here on the shelf. It's downstairs in the hall closet. Yeah, I mean my old gray hat, the one I always wear to conventions. Jim, it was all worn out. It was dirty and the ribbon was faded. Margaret, what did you do with my hat? <laughs> well, I gave it to Mr. Adams. Mr. You mean the junk man? Yes, dear. You gave my hat to the junk man? Jim, you have a brand new hat. Margaret, how could you do a thing like that to me? That was my luck. I mean, uh, how could you? But you said... I've worn that hat to conventions for 15 years. You know I never go to a convention without it. What were you thinking of? He is tall, and he's got the blackest hair you ever saw. I won't go with him, and you can't make me. Oh, I can't, can't I? Betty Anderson, you'll go out with that boy, or you'll never go out again. But, Father... I'm having enough trouble. Give a man's hat away at a time like this. Betty, after all, your father knows best, and if he... Thinks... All right, I'll go. But if anything happens to me, you'll have no one to blame but yourself. Betty, your father's going away. Aren't you going to say goodbye? Sure. Goodbye. And I hope you have a very nice time. <laughs> Most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. A perfectly good hat sitting up on a shelf, not hurting a soul. Jim, you said you weren't superstitious. Superstitious? What has superstition got to do with it? I like that hat. It was the best hat I've ever had. But it was all worn out. It was a perfect hat for going to conventions, and you know it. But... Jim... You want me, Dad? Get Mr. Adams on the phone. Oh... Mr. Adams. The junk man? Tell him I want my gray hat back. It's in the closet, Dad. My old gray hat. Tell him I'll give him $5 for it. For that hat? Bud. Okay, Dad. Jim, you're being very foolish about this whole thing. Oh, I am, am I? Just because I have a lucky... Uh, just because I happen to like a certain hat, I'm being foolish. That's fine. Jim, your train leaves in less than an hour. Well, let it leave. I'll take a plane. I'll walk. But until Mr. Adams comes back with my hat, Daddy. I'm not going to... What is it, Kathy? Mr. Davis is here. Oh, no. What does he want? <laughs> I'll be right down, Ed. Take your time, Jim. No hurry. Jim, please don't make a fuss in front of Ed. Of course not. You know I've got better sense than that. I do? <laughs> well, I guess I've got everything except my hat. I don't understand, Jim, after that long speech you made about dreams and fortune tellers. Margaret, my hat has nothing to do with dreams and fortune tellers. It isn't a question of superstition or anything like that. I merely want my hat. And in the future, will you please leave my things alone? Yes, dear. I'm not asking for anything unusual. Just don't give my hats to the junk man. All right, dear. Jim, I'm sorry to barge in at a time like this. I know you must be kind of busy. Well, it's all right. How are you, Ed? Fine, Margaret, just fine. Jim, I have some property in Chicago, and I wonder if you'll do me a big favor while you're there. Sure, Ed, I'll be glad to. Dad, Mr. Adams wasn't there. That's impossible. He must be there. Okay, but Mrs. Adams said he wasn't. <laughs> She's going to see if she can find him. Margaret, now do you see what you've done? Jim, you said... I know what I said, but good grief. Anything wrong, Jim? Everything's wrong. We've had nothing but trouble all day. My good hat's gone. The junk man's gone. Betty didn't even want to go out with your nephew just because he's tall and dark. You mean Charlie? Have you ever heard anything so ridiculous? Oh, I don't understand. 
Oh, Janie Liggett has some kind of an idiotic set that tells fortunes, and she told Betty... Oh, I understand that part, all right. Used to be quite a hand with a Ouija board. But I don't understand about Charlie. Well, there's nothing to worry about, Ed. She went with him, even though he is tall and dark. But he isn't. Charlie's short, and he has red hair. No, no. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire, burn, and cauldron bubble. It's a far cry from the witches of Macbeth to the Andersons of Springfield, but not as far as you might think. An hour has passed, and the situation has altered only slightly. Bud is out playing baseball. Kathy is out playing, well, whatever it is that nine-year-old girls play. But in the white frame house on Maple Street, the air is charged with nervous tension. Not a word has been heard from Betty, and the Andersons and Ed Davis can do nothing but wait. Like this. Don't like this. Don't like it at all. Look, Ed, I don't care what you do, but do something. Well, let's try this. Hmm, let me see now. Jim, I don't understand how you can sit there at a time like this and play canasta. Well, what do you want me to do? Margaret, we haven't left a stone unturned We've called all her friends, the club, all the authorities And they've promised to let us know the second either one of them turns up There must be someone else we can call Like who? I'm not even sure calling the police was such a good idea Jim, you've got to understand my position After all, Charlie's my nephew and we don't know where he is The idiot We don't know where Betty is Or how the boy with the dark hair got into it very confusing. Whose turn is it? Well, the whole thing is certainly nothing to worry about. Just because Janie Liggett is a superstitious little twerp. Jim, after all the fuss you made about your hat, how can you call anyone superstitious? My hat has nothing to do with it. And I didn't make a fuss. Then why did you miss your train? Because I decided to fly. I wanted to find out what happened to Betty. That's all. Nothing complicated about it. And it has nothing to do with superstition. I guarantee that when Betty shows up, there'll be a perfectly logical explanation of the whole thing. Well, I hope you're right. Of course I'm right. Go ahead, Ed. It's your turn. You haven't put down a card. Oh. Well, uh, just a minute. Certainly taking long enough. I have a right to think about it, don't I? Just don't rush me. You know, when I was a boy, we lived in an old house on the north side, and the place was simply crawling with ghosts. Well, one day... Wait a minute, Ed. Don't tell me you believe in ghosts. Why not? Well, it's ridiculous. Everybody knows there's no such thing. Oh, they do, do they? Well, let me tell you, Jim, there wasn't a night went by... Betty? It's me, Mom. I'm sorry, Ed. What are you doing home, bud? Thought you were going to play baseball. Well, I started to play, but... Gosh, Dad, I told you that bat wasn't any good. Bud, what on earth happened to your eye? You gods, another shiner. Bud, have you been fighting again? I got hit with a baseball. Well, that's great. You know, if this keeps up, you're going to have that eye worn out. I couldn't help it, Dad. I asked you to let me buy another bat. You were hit with a ball. What does a bat have to do with it? Well, they took me out for a pinch hitter. And while I was sitting on the bench, I got hit in the eye. There, you see. That's what you get for being superstitious. Why aren't you on the train? Who said anything about a train? Jim, Bud is only doing the things you taught him I taught him? When did I teach him anything about a bat with no hits in it? Well, it amounts to the same thing That's because you're concerned over a silly old hat I'm not concerned about my hat The hat has nothing to do with it And Margaret, will you please stop changing the subject? Oh, no, not again What was that? The glazier's delight Kathy! Bud, tell Kathy to come in here, please. Okay. Tells me I can't get a new bat and then blames the whole thing on me. As I was saying, Jim, we had a rocking chair in our living room. And every night it went back and forth, back and forth, back 
and forth. Well, what does that prove? Well, it certainly wasn't moving all by itself. <laughs> you know, Ed, you certainly have some very peculiar ideas. I don't see anything peculiar about them at all. And if you weren't so doggone stubborn, stubborn, me, you're the one who's being stubborn. I'll show you a dozen books that prove there's no such thing as a ghost. And I'll show you two dozen books that prove there are. Jim, my grandmother, William, said that when she was a girl... Now, there's a great authority for you. <laughs> a dame who spent half her life running around with Hottentots. She was a very sweet woman, and you have no right to make fun of her. I'm not making fun of her. I'm merely trying to tell you that superstition is silly. Where did you get that hat? What? Hmm? Oh, nothing. I was just thinking. Hmm. Come on, will ya? Well, stop pulling me. Why do you always have to pull me? <laughs> Kathy, what did you do out there? I couldn't help it, Daddy. I was trying to make everybody lucky. She heaved a horseshoe through the garage window. <laughs> oh, fine. We just had it fixed. But, Daddy, I was worried about Betty, and they told me if I threw it over my right shoulder... Your left shoulder, Dopey. Oh! Well, no wonder. <laughs> Kathy, do you see what you've done? She was just trying to be helpful, dear. Sure, and I'm going to be set back another $4.20 for a window. But, Daddy, they said it was lucky. Who said it was lucky? The man who fixed the window. <laughs> Look, Kathy, let's examine this thing calmly and with simple logic. Why is a horseshoe lucky? Well, everybody says it is. Horses have millions of them, and are they lucky? Some of them are. That idiotic rabbit's foot you carry around. Where's the rabbit it used to belong to? Did it bring him any luck? Well, he was lucky while he had it. But it didn't keep him from getting shot, did it? He had four feet, four nice, lucky rabbit's feet, and he still got shot. He must have looked at the moon over the wrong shoulder. <laughs> now, look, Kathy. Jim. I'll answer it. Dear, if it's Betty, please don't lose your temper. Oh, silliest family I've ever seen. I think we were living in the Middle Ages. Horseshoes and rabbit's feet. How could you do this to me? How could you? You get inside. I'll talk to you later. Officer? We found her at Crandall's drugstore, Mr. Anderson. She was having a soda. And he wouldn't even let me finish. Oh, well, uh, sorry you were put to all this trouble, officer. I'll see that it doesn't happen again. <laughs> That's okay. We're used to it. Jim, is it Betty? Mother, why did you do this to me? Having me dragged home by the police and everybody looking at me. Darling, we were so worried. Where's Charlie? What did you do with that rattle-brained redhead? Did you want the boys? Nobody told me to bring them. You mean there were two of them? Father, why didn't you listen to me? I told you I didn't want to go with Tommy. You said it was Charlie. I didn't say it was Charlie. I said he was tall and dark, and Janie Liggett said I was going to have trouble. But you wouldn't listen. I'm sorry I listened in the first place. Who was the other boy? Tommy. Tommy who? I don't know, but he's a friend of Charlie's, and Charlie was trying to get a date for him. And he knew he was going to be late, so he sent Tommy, and we met him down at Mr. Crandall's. And it's all your fault. What's my fault? If you hadn't started that ridiculous thing about Janie Liggett and the tall, dark man... Uh, will you be needing me for anything else? Hmm? Oh, thank you, officer. I think everything's under control now. Well, I wouldn't be so sure. Sounds to me like the whole house is infested with leprechauns. Better leave a bowl of milk out for him tonight. Otherwise, you'll have nothing but trouble. <laughs> Thank you, officer. We'll uh, do just that. Now we've got leprechauns. Betty, what happened to that idiot nephew of mine? Nothing. When the policeman came, he and Tommy didn't know what to do. So, they're having another soda. <sighs> just wait till I get my hands on that carrot-headed numbskull Just wait oh, It wasn't his fault, Ed The whole thing was a very unfortunate misunderstanding, that's all It's more than that It's a perfect example of what I've been trying to tell you Do you see what superstition has done to this family? Jim, it's not that important It is important We're supposed to be a healthy, normal American family And what happened to us? We become involved in a bunch of old-world superstitions And all our lives are affected Bud gets a black eye Kathy breaks a window 
Bet he gets the whole neighborhood upset with her tall, dark stranger. Jim, it's very well to scoff at superstition, but when I was a boy... Ye gods, now what? I tell you, that chair rocked back and forth. Back and forth. <laughs> Mr. Anderson, my friend, my wonderful friend. It's about time you got here. Where's my hat? Jim, you mustn't blame Mr. Adams. I gave him the hat. Mrs. Anderson, look what I brought for you. The biggest box of candy I could find. This is the biggest box of candy in Springfield. Why, Mr. Adams. Go ahead, take it, take it. I want you to have it. It's for you. Mr. Adams, all we want is the hat. May I please See, have... I brought a doll for the little girl. Presents for everybody. A baseball bat and perfume. Mr. Adams, I have to go to Chicago. May I please have my hat? Look, Mr. Anderson, cigars. The biggest box I could find. Mr. Adams. Three for a half. That's expensive. But nothing is too good for my friend. Thank you very much. Now may I have my hat? The hat that... Wonderful hat. You know, all my life I've been an unlucky man, a junk man, a, a poor peddler. And then you gave me that hat, that beautiful hat. I said I'd give you $5. Oh, I couldn't sell that. Not that hat. $10. Jim. Mr. Anderson. $15. I wouldn't sell it for a million dollars. Haven't you heard what it did for me? I just won the Irish sweepstakes. <laughs> doesn't take long for three days to come and go. Just about three days. And that's precisely what's happened in Springfield. Jim Anderson has gone to Chicago and come back again. And now, for the first time in three days, he's at the breakfast table with his family. Like this. I guess I made them sit up and take notice. Right in front of everybody, Mr. Craig said they couldn't have placed the Springfield area in more capable hands. Jim, he didn't. He certainly did. And he's only the president of the company, that's all. Boy, you should have seen the eyes pop. Say, Dad, you know how many hits I got yesterday with the bat Mr. Adams gave me? Six. That's fine, bud. How come you had a game yesterday? Well, it wasn't a regular league game. I was just fooling around with Kathy's team. <laughs> he hit three home runs. Oh, it wasn't so much. <laughs> Father? Yes, Betty? I'm going to a formal next Friday, and I saw the most beautiful dress. Again? Betty, your father just got home. But, Mother, Tommy said it was going to be the most exclusive formal of the year. Tommy? You mean the tall, dark one? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, maybe we're going to have trouble with him after all. Jim, let's not get started on that again. It was a very successful convention, wasn't it? It certainly was. I accomplished a great deal. And you did it all without your lucky hat, didn't you? Margaret, I never said it was a lucky hat. I merely said, well, the man's entitled to a few little idiosyncrasies. That's all it was, so let's just forget it. All right, dear. Daddy? Yes, Kathy? Is everything all right now? I mean, you aren't going away on any more trips or anything, are you? No, Kathy, I'm staying right here, and everything's just as fine as it can be. Good. Now, can I please have my rabbit's foot back? <laughs> us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Bargey and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. Don't forget, membership cards for the Robert Young Good Drivers Club are waiting for you at your local NBC station. Get a man-to-man -man or dad-to-daughter pledge and sign up today. Be a good driver. Get your membership card in the Robert Young Good Drivers Club today. Now until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. 
Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned for Screen Guild Theater, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Inner Sanctum, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.